Welcome to the Financial Insight Podcast, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. The Financial Insight Podcast is for professional investors only. Thank you. Today, we're going to be speaking to Maria Minucci. She's a multi-asset fund manager for M&G. And we're going to be talking about COP26, the just transition and modern slavery. Maybe we can talk about uh, the key takeaways from COP26. Absolutely. So I think we have seen some very interesting developments during the latest COP26, which obviously has been at the centre of a lot of attention from the media standpoint, from the financial industry, from uh, politicians all over the world. And and rightly so, because obviously it's a very important meeting. You have uh, several um, different countries involved and the the efforts that um, those countries are embarking on is absolutely huge. So the Paris Agreement is um, really important in order to be able to maintain uh, global warming within a certain temperature below 2 degrees or ideally 1.5 degrees. And there is a lot that countries need to, to do to be able to achieve that. And so one of the reasons why to me COP26 is so important and it has been so important is that it really helps focusing the minds into what are the key steps, what are the key um, essential elements to be able to achieve um, the targets that different countries have set themselves in terms of carbon uh, emission reduction. Um, and so this is what makes it, uh, obviously this is a very difficult task. Um, there is a lot of um, interrelated aspects to, to climate change, which brings with it um, economic and social factors, but being able across a large number of countries to find some commonalities, some common objectives is absolutely crucial to be able to achieve that. In terms of the key sectors uh, that have been impacted by pledges at COP26, um, could you maybe tell us uh, some of the ones that are of interest to you and MG? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are three areas which are really important and that we've seen some, some crucial development during uh, COP26. Um, the first one being around uh, energy and the energy mix. So we've seen some very important pledges around coal and um, the phasing down of coal in uh, the production of energy, which is absolutely crucial to be able to achieve um, the objectives that the Paris Agreement have, have set out for. Um, we've also seen some inter- interesting uh, pledges and focus on uh, methane emissions, which is quite important because although uh, methane has been less of a focus um, in the last few years, um, methane actually has some much more powerful warming potential than CO2 emissions. And the reason why it has been less on the spotlight is because it tends to survive in the atmosphere for a shorter period of time, so it's less uh, relevant for longer term shifts in, in, in temperature. Um, however, as we're starting to see already some important changes and increasing temperatures, then methane becomes again, um, and, 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 and as a new element, uh, quite an important one in, in any climate policy, really. Um, another area of, of crucial interest during the COP26 has been the environment and I think very, very welcome has been the pledges around ending deforestation and actually reversing some of it, so being able to really protect those carbon sinks that are so important for us to be able to um, reduce carbon emissions and in particular achieve net zero and so being able to absorb uh, a larger number of the CO2 emissions that we're emitting in the atmosphere um, today. 
Um, and finally, I think finance is uh, remains a very important aspect of all of the climate transition, uh, given the very important level of investment that is required in new technology, in retrofitting existing um, technologies, and, and for example, buildings. And so financing is crucial. And again, from COP26, we had some very good direction in terms of emerging market financing, but also the role of the financial industry in um, supporting some of those uh, transformations and also in a way taking advantage of the opportunities that might, might come out of it. How significant is the just transition and uh, that pledge of COP26? I think it's absolutely crucial in order to achieve this objective to think about you know what the um, overall impact will be not only on the economy but more broadly on society and this is where sustainability really goes hand in hand in terms of what are the environmental and what are the social challenges so just transition is, is absolutely crucial to be able to avoid uh, an overall systemic risk that could be linked to global warming and climate change and I think it's very interesting how we start to see that um, approached by different countries in different ways. Um, there's definitely a lot more talk about it and how this transition can affect different parts of the population, what the role of the state could be in facilitating um, some of this transitioning without creating disruptions for different parts of, of, of society and of the communities. Um, and, and this is also reflected in, in some of the recent discussion around financing to emerging markets. Obviously, it wouldn't be fair to, you know, uh, outsource all of our emissions to other countries and then ask those countries to reduce their emissions when we are actually the ones that use the goods coming from those. So it's absolutely important that we work collaboratively across countries and that the social element of, of transition is really prioritized. Um, and this will in turn then benefit a more stable economy, more stable society, and in the end, a, a better and healthier financial market. So since 2016, m have been um, uh, combating modern slavery in their investment portfolio. And it's something that's very much in line with the just transition. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think when we think about social um, issues and challenges and how do those fit with the overall sustainability uh, element and transition, um, modern slavery has a very important role because obviously with a very globalised economy, with consumption that continue to increase, with a growing demographic, um, knowing uh, how the supply chain is managed, where is the produce um, uh, being made and how, it's extremely important and in order to be able to avoid modern slavery. Um, and as you mentioned, is a theme that um, is less well known than I think what should be, that we have been engaging with for a very long period of time, both internally, so thinking about our own uh, systems and controls uh, to prevent um, modern slavery risk, but also engaging with uh, some of the companies we invest in to be able to understand what are the controls they have in place uh, to avoid this, um, especially when you're seeing companies with very long supply chains, which makes it very hard to control. What what can we do better? What can we do more uh, to ensure that you know modern slavery doesn't really have a place um, in, uh, in in our portfolios? Cool. Yeah, interesting. Interesting concept with the length of a um, supply chain, which is you know that's it. Yeah. The yeah. More, you know, it becomes harder and harder to control, right? The more 
the, the, the longer the supply chain is, the more it interests different countries with different regulations, um, the easier it is to, to lose track of, you know, how different um, components are produced. But this is something that more and more companies, especially companies that have a sustainability focus, they really are um, more attentive towards. And um, I think they recognize the importance of making sure that they have systems in place to recognize where risk of modest slavery appears and being able to manage it and control it. And actually, I mean, th this issue applies to modern slavery, but it really applies um, to all of the sustainability aspects because it's often not enough for you know that single company to control its own sustainability, uh, being on the environmental or social side. But more and more, we're seeing that there is a focus on you know the entire supply chain, um, both in terms of um, what type of carbon emissions. Um, are, 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 um, uh, take place, but also from a social standpoint, what are the policies um, for uh, employees? So it's a different lens where you know, you're not just looking at one company, but you're looking at a whole set of stakeholders that rotate around that company, um, which makes it very interesting, very difficult, because as I said, with long supply chains, it's a big challenge, but, but extremely important going forward. Tangibly, has this the pledge of the just transition made an impact on this? Um, you said sort of in recent times there's there's been especially with ESG legislation. I can imagine that people are going to be more focused on supply chains and the ethical supply of of goods and imports. So, did the just transition pledge has that had uh, an impact yet? Is it, do you expect it to have an impact? What What do you think? So, I think in the sense of you know, like uh, starting for companies to think you know outside their own walls, if you want, you know, more broadly, at what happens to their products before it reaches their their factories or you know when it's with the consumers. Um, this vision is becoming you know more and more important, even strictly speaking about the environmental issues because for if for example we talk about carbon emissions um, the first you know approach was okay let's think about the carbon emission of a company within its industrial um, plant or you know within its production or within its services etc but even that idea now you know is kind of obsolete where we're looking at carbon emission of a company we're also including you know um, carbon emissions that are coming from the energy that the company uses so where how is this energy produced and, and, and with which form of, of um, uh, technology um, but, and the heat as well, but also really down the supply chain again to um, all the way to the consumer to understand, you know, what's the carbon emission throughout the life of a product or again service. So the fact that, you know, we're not just looking at scope one emissions anymore, but scope two and three really are, you know, at the forefront of any um, net zero approach really opens the, the, the view in that sense of, you know, it's not just the company within its boundaries, it's broader than that. And, and I think this is becoming, again, you know, a trend also more on a social perspective, uh, modern slavery being a very good example of that. So obviously many countries that operate in, in developed, um, many companies that operate in developed countries, you know, they have regulation in place that in very many cases, I mean, it protects um, employees against um, some of those those very difficult situations. But when you start, you know, operating across different countries and several of them, and you kind of have a very complex supply chain, then it can become more difficult. And so 
um, it's very important that there is this um, trend and this ambition of wanting to find out more and being more clear about um, the characteristics of, of, of the overall production and how the company affects, how the product affects different stakeholders. Um, so I think we're already starting to, to see this in terms of you know, uh, having larger boundaries of what is the remit of a company. Um, in terms of the just transition spe specifically, I think we're still quite at an early stage. Um, it is definitely something that is becoming more and more common language and trying to basically, I think, you know, realize that there are some changes that you must do, but you also have to consider other elements and the impact that this could have in society if you want this transition to be, to be smooth. Um, but it's a very complex aspect. And so I think it will require, you know, state intervention, but also, um, you know, uh, sometimes changing in culture as well, providing new opportunities, investing in new technologies, upskilling or of some part the population you know for new jobs new type of jobs uh, we've actually seen quite a lot of this in in some parts for example um uh, of the us uh, where some technologies renewable energy technologies have been growing very fast and very uh, quickly and so uh, many people have retrained for you know working for example on onshore wind farms etc or solar farms um and you know this is quite an interesting element and is how can we you know support that as a as a global community, if you want. What you're saying there about the just transition being a trend, that as you said, the remit of a company is, is growing. I suppose having um, exposure to companies that aren't doing that, it serves as a risk for an investor. I would say that, you know, all that we discussed during this call from, you know, the, the, the recent developments from COP26 to uh, a transition that, you know, um, focus on limiting global warming, but at the same time as a keen eye on the economics and society uh, will bring some very interesting developments in the coming years. And to me, there is two types of companies that um, could be well placed to benefit from that. On the one end is those companies that have already embedded some of those um, risks and they've you know, protected themselves against them, uh, put some policies in place that make sure that we're well positioned if and when regulation comes or you know, when those changes actually materialize in a more significant fashion. And I think given the acceleration of scientific data that we're receiving, um, as well as you know the, the, this focus of minds from a global standpoint, I think we might see some of this transformation sooner rather than later. Um, and, and so these are some of those companies that in my view will be more resilient to those type of changes and they're the companies that have um, a better and, and more robust approach to, to ESG challenges. And the other side will be those companies that represent in a way the real opportunities, so companies that provide solutions for some of those challenges. There could be companies at different stages of their lives, there could be companies you know, more in a develop development phase or companies that are more established and the market leaders on some of the areas that would be key enable in order to achieve lower carbon um, emissions. While at the same time, you know, maintaining this the right balance from an economic and social perspective, um, and it's really by finding the right combination and right balance that uh, we will be able to make a success out of it. So I think, to me, these changes represent, as always, risks and opportunities. 
and for investors it's very important today to be able to understand how can we avoid the risks and trying to focus on the opportunities and, and to me it would be as i said you know companies that can better avoid those risks are those that are recognizing those risks first of all and putting in place you know the right uh, changes um, to be able to mitigate those risks and then on the other end uh, companies that actually provide solutions to some of those um, challenges both from an environmental and, and social standpoint thank you so much for chatting uh, to me today thank you The Financial Insight podcast is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Wherever appropriate, independent research, and wherever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. The value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.